So here we are. Dude, we haven't done one of these in a long time. Much much to my disappointment. I actually really enjoy doing these. And we I, planned to do one on the airplane, and then we both started watching movies. We didn't plan. To, you wanted to do one on the airplane. I planned to do one on the airplane. That's fine. I, I don't even think it's possible. It is possible. Brian complains when there's like... If I tap the table in here, he's like, do you know how hard it is to edit that out? Can you picture if I know, we did one on an airplane? that would be part of the whole thing. Yeah. That would be editable, I think, because it's like a steady state of white noise. They, yeah. could, they could get that out. I mean, maybe. Um, I imagine that the people on the airplane would have really appreciated us talking about the random bullshit we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> you never know. <clears throat> Things I this, want to hey, talk you know about what? today. The in my, uh, flight in attendant liked you. And liked both of us because remember the dude that was sitting across the aisle? Oh, that guy was a fucking piece of shit. Total jackass. Yeah, yeah. And was, well, hold on. It wasn't a jackass. He wasn't he's acting. He's the kind of man who would lean his seat back in coach. Yes, but we're making him That's sound your, like That is he literally was a, you saying he's the worst. You've said it on this podcast. That is the worst thing a I'm, human can do. It's true. But <laughs> what I'm trying to clarify is that he wasn't like this raging asshole that was demanding or acting loud or anything like that. He was just slow and in the way. And and constantly inconveniencing everyone around Yeah, without him. realizing it. Right? Because he was oblivious. Yeah, he's pr- he probably drives a Prius. He was a real piece of shit. I guarantee he drives a Prius. <laughs> my my oldest is going to be so sad that you say that. Dude, Prius drivers suck. <laughs> I mean... Uh, they're in no rush to be anywhere, I'll tell you that. No, they're like constantly trying to maximize gas mileage. So things that happened in the it, meantime were that Aaron and I... Went to the United Kingdom for a launch of the new Ghost Recon video game. Very proper of you. It was the United Kingdom. It is. I know. It was actually, it was, a, it was a really fun time. And I have a renewed interest in London now, thanks to Aaron taking me to what is apparently a very well thought of restaurant that when I wrote something on my Instagram about how I was like, what's up with this fucking nose to tail place? People were like, you Philistine. <laughs> and I was like... Whatever, it's like a random white restaurant. I can't believe we were able to get reservations last minute. I can't believe it was fucking rad. After talking about the left bank butchery, the fucking chef didn't come out and talk to us. I was actually he wasn't there. That's why the ah, that's why the the waiter pretended to be so interested. No, the waiter was like, if the chef was here, he would come out and talk to you. <clears throat> and then a real love connection was forged between Aaron and this other guy who Aaron thought was the owner, who was sitting behind me, and Aaron kept giving him the like the spooky eyeball like like I think that's the I think that's the owner. I was like, cool. I was like, I don't fucking know. I don't even know this restaurant existed. And then so there was it's so a fucking much, cool setting though, right? No. It's it, like this old industrial building. Dude, we rolled into the meatpacking district, which is not a euphemism for the homosexual district <laughs> of London. And it's literally like a set from like a Cockney Rocky. Like there's just pigs hanging from the ceiling of every building you're rolling by and it's deserted. It's the weekend. And Aaron had like, essentially, I was prepared to eat meat pies at Blackfriars. And I was content with that because I thought I was about to drink my weight. In well, fucking that's Guinness. what I was giving you, man. And, and Aaron seemed unenthused by this opportunity. And then he offered, he's like, we should go eat steak, which is like, okay, I am assuming we would eat at a very nice steak restaurant. But I was like, fuck it. We're in England, we need to eat real British food, the shitty kind that everybody fucking says is terrible. And Aaron like resignedly goes, you want a, you want an English dinner? I'll give you an English dinner. He gets on his phone and I was like, what is he doing? I looked over at Josh and I was like, I don't care. Let's just drink beer. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, you're like, look, there's a 930 reservation. It's like fucking six or something. It was not that early. It was pretty it early. It was like seven. Maybe it was seven. It, either way, like I was, I was like, uh... I mean, okay, cool. We're we had some t- a little bit of time to yeah, kill. Yeah, no, I don't care that we had time to kill. It was just funny to me that like we're in this huge city and it's like fuck. I guess we'll wait for night through reservation. Cool. Like I don't care. We ate some salted like some candied nuts and we took, wa- we took a around. walk. Yeah, we walked past uh, the Shakespeare Theater, the Globe. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, we stopped and grabbed some beers at a place where people were having like an impromptu birthday party and they did not invite us because they are fucking inhospitable cunts. <laughs> <clears throat> Either way. We had a wonderful time, and um, I was, you know, with we're walking to this restaurant. It is deserted, and we walk up to this like whitewashed the neighborhoods deserted. Yeah, neighborhoods deserted, dead. It's a business, not district. the restaurant. No, yeah. actually, to be fair, the restaurant appeared deserted because the front of it was super nondescript. You couldn't see in, 
and we went in this like kind of weird side door thing. I mean, it's on the front of the building. But it's, it's the like, main door of the building. Yeah, yeah, of the but restaurant. It's offset, but yeah, yeah, and totally. it's small, and you go through this like really weird, almost like alley. When you have to walk through the actual meat market to get there. Yeah, you know, so not into the building, but like. Dude, we were walking through. No, and nobody was in there. It was like the, there's like one table with someone at it, and it no, looked I'm like saying the drinking. central market that we walked through oh, yeah, first, yeah, yeah. like the food yeah. distribution place where there's like, you know, pigs and sides of beef like hanging from on. the ceiling. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you get to the restaurant, and I'm thinking this is like, I actually wasn't prepped for what we were about to get into. I didn't realize that Aaron was bringing me to a Michelin star restaurant, and so we like walk in and. There's like one dude who looks kind of disheveled at a table drinking a cortado and we walk past him. I'm like, what the fuck has Aaron got me into? And there's like a meat counter kind of thing. It's when the guy hands you your eyes wide shut, man. <laughs> I was like, this is about to get weird, especially considering one of the other people in our party couldn't stop talking about the red light district that was disappointing <laughs> based on reviews. You know, I'm like, I'm dying laughing because I'm all like, eh. well, who would have guessed that London would have a shitty red light district? Everyone, everyone would know that. <laughs> They've been catering to like Vikings and transient people forever. I doubt that that's like a, a high spot. Um, either way, we had to go up some stairs and hang a right. And then we walked into like four stairs. Oh, no, it's but not I mean, like a flight of stairs. Yeah. No, okay. Literally, this is the most Jewish conversation we've ever had with each other. I'm trying to paint a picture, man, <laughs> of what the fucking inside of the restaurant looks like. And you say we have to go but up it was some full. stairs. Like it was full. Like, I mean, it was slam pack full. It was busy. And uh, I was like, what the fuck is this? And there's like a one sheet menu and everything on it sounds fucking disgusting. It is like ultra British. It's it's, no, it's it's just all awful. Everything on the mm, menu is awful. It's not all awful. We have bones. We have kidneys. We oh man, there was like pork, tripe, uh, centerloin. There was, there was, but it was like chopped up very small. And regardless, nothing on the menu sounded good to me. But I knew that we hadn't been brought here on a wild goose chase unless it was going to be good. So I let Dad order for me. Which thank you a hundred percent has worked in my life so far. You know, like every time we go to a restaurant, I'm like, you know what, man, I'm not even gonna waste any time. Aaron, just order whatever you think I want. It's the best. Um, and everything we got, even the mushy peas, were good. Yeah, they were really good, no, actually. It was fucking awesome. Like it was a really good meal. Um, I made a post about going there on Instagram and had like five people tell me I was a fucking uncultured piece of shit for not knowing what St. <laughs> John's was. Yeah, so just, John. just for the record, St. John is a restaurant in London that's run by a guy named Fergus Henderson, who is really well known as kind of like one of the foundational members, I would say, of like the, the farm to table movement. Um, and that restaurant's really focused on like basically like British like peasant food, if that's maybe the right way to put it, traditional British cuisine. The kind of food um, you eat after you pull your hand out of a horse's ass. Well, I would say it's the kind of food, I don't know about that. I've I watched James Harriet and I read the books. I understand that all British farm people basically <laughs> exist with their hands up horses' asses all the time. Maybe I haven't spent enough time on British farms. <laughs> but no, what you were talking about is food that was originally cooked and served by and for people that like couldn't afford the good stuff, right? Like... I can't afford to buy the the expensive shit at the butcher shop. So, like, what are the leftovers? And exactly what you're talking about. So, while Prince Harry and his his lowbrow bride <laughs> are are living it up in the castle with the with the crown jewels. Yeah, man, the filet mignon and yeah. the the pork tenderloin. The rest of the pig yeah, is being served tail, to the masses. Dude, tails, snouts, and fucking guts, right? Ah, uh, the aristocracy. Yeah, but it's good, man. That's the the whole point. And it was delicious. What's awesome about going there is that. You would never make that shit at home. You would never order it at like another restaurant. Or Unless like you they shop at the Left Bank Butchery. <clears throat> and then I have Ross tell me all the time, like, hey, Fair man, enough. you should try this thing. Oh, that sounds, oh, I'm going to, oh, I'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> How do I cook this? I've said that every time I've gone into the Left Bank Butchers. Yeah. Like, oh, what is this and how do I cook it? But they'll help you out. Oh, for sure. It's rad. I mean, it makes me wonder why butchers became, I mean, it's literally an almost extinct profession. Yeah, well... Working at the meat counter at Kroger's does not make you a butcher. Anyone listening to this podcast who thinks you're a butcher, you're a poser piece of shit. Come talk to me at fucking <laughs> Dude, software you are fucking fired up today, man. <laughs> no, 
I, that's a whole nother subject, maybe for a die living podcast. Well, essentially, we can gloss <laughs> we can gloss over it. I want to talk about the fact that after leaving England with with a one day turnaround, Aaron and I left on another plane to go to Oregon to meet with some friends of friends who are now. It was a it was a strong travel move. Oh, it was a, it was a strong move. I was, I, I was tired. <laughs> I was real tired too. And we uh, we came back. We went to Oregon, which was. Interesting, because initially we had planned to fly into San Francisco and drive to a super remote eastern Oregon location that was inaccessible by airport. Easily. And then we changed the game plan to a central Oregon location that was only 20 minutes from a pretty populous regional airport. But we still flew to San Francisco. It was too late to to affordably adjust adjust our travel at that point in time. But then we drove six and a half hours to get where we were going. Which was actually a good road you know trip. What? It was a nice drive, yeah, man. Nice drive. Up through the mountains. And we also got a chance to stop, not in Napa, but uh, Hootville or Yountville. Yountville. Yountville and St. Helena. Yeah. Uh, we stopped there to on the way back eat dinner <clears throat> at uh, the French Laundry, another three-star Michelin restaurant. You were like convinced that we would be able to walk into that place and it would be cool. Well, I've never I, felt out of place anywhere yeah. in my life. And I walked into that place. And you, went, didn't, well, you didn't even walk in. No, you we, walked by. We walked through the garden. Yes. And I immediately was like, well, this place is not for me. But I had to keep up the ruse that we had eaten <laughs> there because the only reason we drove to Yountville was to, was take, to pictures, take the picture. I to could... show it to Brian, whose bougie ass was going <laughs> to be super jealous and was already mad he wasn't traveling with us and was doubly mad that we were eating at rest. Literally, if you ask Brian what the greatest meal of his life is. Well, it was that one time that I ate at the French Laundry in Yountville. Well, tell me about it. Oh, it just sounds like bougie, shitty French food. <laughs> it is not shitty. It is bougie. That's why my Instagram caption was, the jacket I borrowed smelled like cheese. <laughs> Service was mediocre. Food was disappointing. We did eat at a sister restaurant. We did, where... Uh, an aging retired chiropractor. <laughs> what was he, with that guy? He stole a drink from Aaron. Literally, he came up and tried to be super friendly to us. And then he looked at Aaron's drink. He's like, "What is that?" And Aaron told him. He's like, mm, "Let me have a taste of it." And he literally like took the glass out of Aaron's hand. Aaron was like, so like he was being kind. He was like, "Well, sure." The guy just janked it out of his hand. Took it. Like, That's delicious. Like, I'm not sure if this dude's hitting on me, trying to give me like some kind of disease. I don't or- know. He was, if he was a terrorist, he was passing it freely. I will say uh, it was also endearing to hear him speak of his grown son as the guy who cried a lot in that documentary, Psalm, yeah. which we've all seen, which is a great fucking documentary. About, it is a good documentary. I mean, I never knew that being a sommelier was, I, honestly, I didn't know being a sommelier was a job, so there's that. <laughs> I don't think you could operate in that job on that level without a lot of genetic talent. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've always thought it was for just total dilettantes, you know, I think that at a certain point you either have the ability to differentiate taste at like a a very, very, very fine level or you don't. For those, for those listening to this podcast who are like me and don't know what a sommelier is, it's someone who's literally paid to taste wine and pair it with food and they get paid handsomely. It's a six-figure year salary if you're if you're a master sommelier and well, you're working at a very so nice what restaurant. It, what does it take to become a master sommelier? A lot. I yeah. mean no, I mean you should, it, before no, I'm I'm asking you to tell people. I mean, I guess there's what there's three levels that I know of. It's been a while since I saw there, the document. There may be more. Yeah. I, I'm not a, an expert, but master sommelier is like the There's the, three tests, right? And it's three parts, and you ha- yes. you can take them all, like you can pass them in different years, but they have to be continuous years. You have three years to pass all three tests. I think so, yeah. I think that's how it goes. And there's only, I think, uh, I don't know how many there's there like are. hundreds of yeah. these people. There's in the very world. few. It's not that many. And um, But one of the parts of the test is the blind tasting, where they just have three glasses of white wine and three glasses of light red wine in front yeah. of you, and you have to sniff it, swirl it, put it in your mouth, taste it, and you have to guess, like, you have to guess the I say year. Guess, but you have to know the, the year, the, year the location, and the region. Yep, dude. I mean, you, you I know that there was a blight in 1957 in Burgundy, and this grape tastes like a blighted grape. It's pretty fucking impressive. It is really impressive, and they basically do tons of rote. They do a lot of uh, like really, really detailed trivia about wines. And then there's like a service portion where they have to get like they actually have to serve a table of grand small or master sommeliers 
And I mean, it's dude, the documentary was really interesting. I don't, it's cool. I don't think that things like that are super interesting, but I think it's interesting when you see people who are that into something. Oh, for sure. It's passion. You know, right? yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about it. Like passion is contagious. You're like, totally. If, <laughs> this is a really boring thing. This motherfucker knows a lot about tires. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's really into that shit. You know, like he, he just said this thing about if you, if Michelin could fucking find a way to make pussy skin tires, they fucking, <laughs> they'd never make another tire again. Because it just fucking stretches forever and never wears out. You know the deal. <laughs> the Dude, where are you coming up with this Aaron's shit, man? mortified by my pussy. I'm not mortified. Reference. I'm just like, <laughs> where your ADD mind knows no bounds. Um. So, yeah, we went to Oregon. And we hung out with these people. I did not. I've always assumed. Are you going to say the people we hung out with? No. Fucking. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't want to rub it in people's faces that we got cool friends. I think we should say. Yeah, we hung out with a dude named Sterling Becklin and... Sherry um, Johnson. Sherry Johnson and... Michael O'Coin. Michael O'Coin and uh, Jason... J- James. Jason uh, Holst. Jason Holst. And, and James is like a goddamn ogre. That dude would have straight up been a fucking Viking in another <clears> lifetime. Way, usually people are like, I expected you to be bigger from pictures. This dude was fucking way bigger than I expected him to be from pictures. Well, his pictures, I mean, he's pretty big. No. I understand. Yeah. I'm saying in pictures, usually, like you meet someone, oh, yeah, and yeah. in their from their picture, you're like, you're oh, no. smaller in real life than what I expected. People right? say that to me all the time. This but, dude was the exact opposite. I was like, I expected you to be big. I didn't expect you to be this fucking big. Super but, creative group of people. <clears throat> um, essentially, we uh, went over there to just kind of like we've been talking to these guys for a long time. Years, um, dude. I bought uh, I bought a bolt gun from Era Three in the year that they started. And when I bought the gun, I talked to Sherry briefly, and I still I remember this very clearly. Sterling called me. He was, you know, he's like, "Dude, I'm the guy that's gonna be building your gun," and we talked for an hour. Um, he called me at like five o'clock. I was starting to like grill dinner for the family. And I was like, "How fucking cool is this, man? That like the dude that owns this company that's gonna be hand building this gun for me is dude, they're super hospitable. It was it was a really really great dude, time. Class." Act all the way, those guys. I had, um, I had a really, really fun time there, and I am actually super excited about things that are in store there. I yeah. don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I'll tell you, Sherry Johnson is every bit as cool as her legend, and um, I'm just hoping that if I ever end up divorced, Sherry will hook me up with one of her like many supposed flat-chested, big-bottomed Oregonian women. <laughs> There's just nobody that looks right around here. I was like, thanks, Sherry. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. It was crazy. I also was unaware that North California and South Oregon view themselves as a potential a, a potential state oh, worthy of secession. Dude, yeah. that was super cool when we went into that gas station. I'm, I was also bummed that they did not have t-shirts. They, well, they had your size. They did not have my size. I'm a fucking XL, man. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, no, they had a 2XL. I'm sorry. You've gotten, yeah, you just fell now. I'm, get, I'm getting there. Either way, I was also sad. They, they did not even have a motherfucking tank top in the right size, and I would have bought one. But I I do laugh that the, this area of industrious farmers does not view themselves as, uh, as represented adequately by either the California or Oregon state government. Well, it's kind of the rural libertarian section of two very liberal states right which is even funnier because like the town grants pass where we're at has like i don't know four sushi restaurants with japanese trained sushi chefs and the downtown is thriving and it was funny because i say something to Sterling, i was like man this town is like just it's great grants pass man it is such a great town look at all these small businesses thriving and he was like well there's no real businesses here i mean dude those are real businesses this downtown is like a 1950s explosion of business well it's it's not real what what do you mean by it's not real because there's not an applebee's in your downtown you don't feel like there's outside investment and as it turns out apparently it's something of a a biodome for money because when there's there's a particular form of business that's popular in the region that doesn't allow its proceeds to be in, in, invested at FDIC Un, bank. Unbanked is what we yeah, call it. Unbanked money. <clears throat> and so one way to to shelter that money is to create a variety of other seemingly booming businesses <laughs> in the area, which, I mean, this is uh, honestly what capitalism looks like. So congratulations. Hey man, if you're going to have to eat sushi every day, it's, uh, yeah. it's a hard fish to swallow, I guess. <laughs> 
It was a good time. Um, it was rad, man. I'm really glad we got a chance to go out there. I am laughing because <laughs> on the way out, I made a totally facetious comment to Aaron about how well, now we're in San Francisco. Aaron's been trying to get me to do a podcast in Japan for like, I don't know, a year at least. We should do a podcast in, in Tokyo. I'm like, well, I, I've never been to Tokyo. I didn't say we should just do a podcast there. I'm saying we should go to Tokyo. Yeah, but you, it always is in conjunction with wanting to do a podcast there. Here's why. I think Tokyo is the fucking coolest city in the world. I've at never least been. That I've ever been to. I've never been. And no one gets excited about going. I mean, but who's no one? I think it's it's so far off the beaten path that nobody goes. Is it really, though? It's like one of the major international but, cities hey, in the world. Hey, I've been to, like, I've traveled a lot in my fucking life. All over fucking Africa. All, I mean, like, the military took me to, like, parts of Southwest Asia that I'd never fucking would have gone otherwise. I wasn't in first group, so I didn't do a lot of the Asia hustle. But, like, literally, to me, going to Hawaii is a fucking crazy trip. <laughs> Doubling that. Going to Japan. It's, it's far. Yeah, it's a long flight, man. It's like, a long flight. I went to Sydney one time. I think it's like 13 hours from Dallas. That's a, I mean, it's a long flight. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and that's all good. It's just funny to me because I would love to go. Um, but when you're like, you're like, I mean, we should, we should do this token thing. Yeah, actually, sure. And so I made a joke. You brought it up, man, you because know, you I, found I, the tickets for 600 bucks. I totally made a joke about there being cheap tickets from San Francisco to Japan. We should just say, fuck it and go. Cause we were already in San Francisco and Aaron, like there was like a gleam in his eye and he was like, we should. And I was like, oh fuck. No, no, no. We just we just got back from England. We <laughs> barely passed through our houses. Then we drove six and a half hours each way to get up to Oregon. The last thing I need is like an eleven hour flight from San Francisco to Tokyo. We had to come back for a really important meeting. Otherwise, we would have gone. Ah, oh, thank God for really important meetings. <laughs> I don't know if I would have made it. Like I'm a fucking trooper, bro. But I mean, I would have. You would have made it, man. You would have been fine. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing about Tokyo. This is my secret Tokyo tip. You get off the plane, it's super early in the morning when you land there. and You just roll into it, right? Well, so it's gotten better. It used to be that getting, Narita Airport is really far outside the city. So it used to be that the train ride from Narita into Tokyo was like a two-hour experience. Ah, damn. And now they have a, a faster train. But you're all fucked up. I mean, you're like about as opposite time zone-wise as you can be, right? And... You roll into the into the city. You go get your hotel. It's like fucking four or five a.m. Is this one of those coffin hotels where like the bed just rolls out on a little track? Last time I was there, we didn't stay in one of those. We but we stayed in basically like a like a workers kind of like Friday night hotel type thing. The whole place smelled like smoke. Yeah, our room was clean. Like all the hallways smelled like smoke, and our the room was so small you couldn't open the door all the way. Like the bed was in the way. But whatever, man. It's cool because you're fucking there to, like, not hang out in the hotel room. You know what I mean? Um, as long as you have a comfortable place to sleep. Bigger or smaller than our hotel room in in London City? Oh, way smaller. Really? Yeah. Oh, that was very small. That wasn't that small. One that I had. Oh, you were in a smaller room. Yeah, the second one, yeah. No, yeah. not the one in White City. The one, that was a beautiful room. Uh, Soho House in White City was, like, probably... One of my apex hotel experiences. I've very much enjoyed that. I'm speaking about the one we got at the the last night before we left London. Oh, that was time. Okay, so yeah, about that size. Okay, I was worried that the two um, enterprising young Syrians working at the front desk were yeah. going to try to steal my watch. They were very, <coughs> very interested. In they it. they took notice. Yeah. Um. So like that room, but you know when you entered the room, there was a bed on the left yep. and a bathroom on the right. Yep. Imagine that space was not there. Oh, the middle space? Yeah. Right on. So it was like bed and bathroom. <laughs> um, it was All cool. All business. Though. All business, man. And then you drop your shit off, and then you try and find a cab because the public transportation isn't running that well yet. Super early in the morning. And you make your way out to Tsukiji Fish Market, which opens super early in the morning. It's like 9 million square feet or 3 million square feet. I don't know. It's like this fucking giant footprint, right? And... They do the tuna auctions there every morning. You watch the fucking... I've seen it in videos. Yeah, it's super cool. You watch the tuna auction. You walk through the fish market. I mean, it's like a fucking super rad experience. And all of them look at you with disdain and call you a gaijin everywhere you go? No, man. Every, you know what? I found that um, almost all the people that I encountered in Japan were super friendly, except for one experience, which I'll get to in a second. 
um, which was not surprising. But, uh, dude, then you're eating fucking sushi. There's all these sushi places right outside the fish market, right? It's like 6 a.m. You're eating fucking sushi that's like could not be fresher, right? And that's how you fucking start the trip. How awesome is that? I mean, no, I'm, I'm in no way do I feel like a trip to Tokyo with you would be a bad experience. We will go more specifically on the heels of a like six day, no sleep sprint. <laughs> I feel like maybe that was a poor choice. So I'm glad we didn't do it. The timing wasn't optimal, no, but uh, it wasn't when there's cheap tickets again, we're going to go. We have to bring someone with us to record things. Cause we have proven that we're infamously bad at recording ourselves doing anything. Yeah. We tried. Um, We'll get better, but uh, <laughs> that's what we've been saying for years, dude. The only rude people I encountered in Japan, and I don't even know if I'd call it rude, was and maybe it was me being rude. We went to a little hot springs village, and um, that we actually had trouble getting out of because there was like no English speaking people there and uh, no English signs, and finding the bus stop was really hard. Fortunately, we encountered some Australians that uh, were able to point us in the right direction. But were no, they real so, Australians or were they fake ones like the one we met in England? No, they were real. Um, Do you know that that fake one was super convincing until true. he started voicing his opinions on social issues? And I was like, you are not Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I was right. He was French, but he had a good accent. Fair enough. Uh, his accent was not that great. It was real Australia. Mm, it was it was like watered down Australia, man. Like you 50, are being 50, very 50. critical. I'm only critical of his like religious and political <laughs> beliefs, not his accent. His accent was très legit, as they say in France. Mm, it was like fifty one, fifty. Oh, ho, ho. he didn't sound French, but he didn't sound like he was like real, real Australian. He sounded like a guy he'd punched a shock in the mouth. Mm, no, not quite he that did. much. It was he like, sounded like a guy. Oh, like he that, gone. But, but watered down. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no. I felt like he sounded more like an American that had lived in Australia for a really long time. Turns out it and only it, takes 10 years to adopt an Australian accent. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you never lose your bougie French attitudes about life. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't disagree with his positions. I just feel like they're unrepresentative of the Australian populace. Fair enough. So we're in this little village, and uh, I go to go into the hot spring, like, pool. And it's separated, you know, male and female, and you have to go in naked. And uh, the Japanese guys, as soon as I walk in, all the dudes in the pool oh. fucking get out. Torizan. <laughs> I was like, whatever, man. The only thing that sucked about that was I do not like sleeping on those tatami mats. I mean, I want, like, a fucking bed. I don't even know what that is. <clears throat> it's like the, think of the traditional Japanese room with like the paper screen doors yep. and like the tatami mat floors, you know, like they're just sleep on the floor. Yeah. Or like they roll, you roll out like this little An extra one, little bedroll. That's like a like, futon. Mm, Thinner. Yeah. Think, mm. it, think, it's like a blanket basically. Um, I if was, I had to sleep on one <clears> of those every night. I would probably have all the anger I needed to <laughs> victimize the entire continent of China as well. <laughs> Ronan Doug. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, that was my only criticism. And honestly, I don't even know why uh, why that, you know, having like white dudes in the pool is offensive, but for whatever reason it I mean, is. And I believe that white dudes on the island period is offensive in general. And I think that like maybe. Douglas MacArthur established some protocols that essentially emasculated the general population for long enough that now they're into like hentai and weird other animation and uh, smoking cigarettes and being lonely. But also, they're very beautiful people. It's they're an interesting amazing. culture, man. Yeah. Beautiful art. The whole, I I mean, the whole thing is fascinating with like this crazy interest in technology, but also like manga, you know, and like they're very proper, but then there's like crazy weird sexual shit that they do. And, but like, all blurred out. That's what I don't understand. Like, they, like the like everything's pixelized there. They've got like some crazy like sex shows and clubs and shit. Oh. Like, you can like rent like a chick that's dressed up like a schoolgirl, hang out with for a while. I saw that in Blade. That, that <clears> looks <throat> rad. Ha 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 ha! Like yeah. So anyway, we'll get there. Where are the vampires? <laughs> the first one was cool. 
But I, uh, all of them were cool. Stop it. It's like people dissing on Fast and the Furious. Every one of them got better, except Tokyo Drift. That was pretty bad. Tokyo Drift was horrendous. <laughs> uh, it should be struck from the record. Uh, who's the dude? He's like the same guy from like Never Back Down, right? Like that that country kid. How did he ever make it in Hollywood? What's that mean, Gajin? He looks like uh, he's got a little bit of Down syndrome. Uh, that was like the Karate Kid 3. You was know? he in that too? No, I'm just saying like of the, the Fast and the Furious oh, series. fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think they've really, after you've made eight movies, I feel like you really figure out your craft, you know? Tell you what, I'm interested to see. I feel like every John Wick movie gets better. Uh, I mean, maybe. I think three was, okay, well. Three was certainly a caricature. The first movie was like seriously a pretty badass movie. The first movie, movie was, was awesome. pretty badass too. Yeah. Third movie, I feel like we were like starting to go to a rabbit hole. Like I appreciate that yeah. the plot is getting developed. That's cool. But also, dude, the action in the third movie was better than the action in the first and second movies. And yet. There was more of it. Well, there was more of it. I don't know if that means it's And I feel like Keanu Reeves is becoming a better shooter. I mean, He didn't really do any three-gun stuff. I feel like we're really... The second movie was definitely a transition to the three-gun. With the shotguns and all that other stuff. And the third movie... I don't know. I mean, I thought there was some good comic relief. I felt like they made the bad guy... So he was grasping very hard. Like he was striving. Which made me... It made it hard for me to believe that he was actually tough at all. It was kind of like, you remember the, the bad, dude the from Asian, Commando? The ninja guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember the guy from Commando? Yeah. Who was like, wore the mesh shirt? Yeah. And like, like had like his own coat. His name was mail. Matrix. Yeah, that guy? Yeah. Never plausible to me that he was tough. Because he was like always trying you know, so hard to be tough. Uh, so I just, I think that the... The downfall for Matrix was the chainmail shirt. Oh yeah, the chainmail shirt was pretty bad. If, I mean, that had if to they put nipples. that dude into something else, he would have been a lot cooler. Maybe, but his whole attitude was very similar to that sushi chef in John Wick Three. <clears throat> I'm saying he could have pulled the attitude off a little bit better if he hadn't been. In, why would you wear fucking chainmail? Who wears chainmail? I mean, someone who's going to get in a knife fight with a green beret. No he, one wears chainmail, man. I mean, that guy did. That was, that was, <laughs> I understand that guy did. I believe an entire subset of people through the Middle Ages wore them. We're not in the Middle Ages. I mean, the only thing that I found believable was the unbelievable was he didn't wear a jerkin underneath it. If he'd had a leather shirt, I would have been like, "Well, yeah." A I, salute to your period correctness. I would say the chainmail guy never becomes the leader either, right? Like the chainmail guy's got to be a supporting fighter. I just feel as though. That entire thing was a very odd, because that was after the Running Man, right? I don't know. I feel like we tried to return to this Running Man thing. Look it up. By the way, um, the Running Man book, unbelievable. Really? Yeah. I thought the movie was really good. uh, If you like the Running Man movie, you will fucking love the book. I always felt like... Like, maybe the production values on that movie were a little low, but that the overarching theme was, like, was maybe one of the better movies I saw well, so, as a kid. So, actually, let me tie this all together here for you. The Running Man was part of the Bachman book series by Stephen King. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, it was, uh, wait, was it? Maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. I think that it was. I um, like these podcasts because we speak about things we don't firmly know but there's a bunch believe. of shit that gets jumbled together in my brain look man but, the, the average I'll, I'll human at, only uses seven percent of their brain all right i'm gonna look it up and then i'm gonna look up the uh arnold schwarzenegger thing the rest so, is filled with malted hops and bong rosin bachman books what are the stories in the bachman books um in any event let's just assume while i'm looking it up yes that it's in the bachman books okay. so the running man is in the movie Right. It's totally different because the movie, you have this dude who's like this fucking super jacked Arnold Schwarzenegger guy. And he goes through essentially a, I don't even know, what would you call it? Like a labyrinth, like a TV show labyrinth. Right. Well, in the book, yeah, the running man is part of the Bachman books. It was rage, the long walk. Roadwork and The Running Man. I think Roadwork's like, eh. I'm still <clears throat> in the middle of the audiobook of The Long Walk. Really? Yeah, I'm not You're in just the not middle. digging it. Well, huh? no, I mean, I actually am enjoying it, but also, um, I, 
I have to remember to listen to a book on tape on my phone when I'm going on the road. And most of the time driving down the road is me entertaining phone calls from like I hear you. a million people that I have. I'm like, man, this is the only time I'm going to get to wrap up business stuff. So Kim will be like, let's go on a date. Cool. I'll talk on the phone to the house and I'll like text her like, Hey, I'm in the driveway. She'll come out and I'll be on the phone the hallway to dinner. And she's just looking at me and like rolling her eyes. I get the same thing. As a um, matter of fact, we, you and I talked on the phone for an hour while I was in bed with Kim the other night. She was looking to get laid and 45 minutes into our conversation on speaker, she fell asleep. Dude, you could have told me. It was okay. I felt like this, we, it started as a wall of text exchange between us that I realized was actually amping my anxiety up. I was like, <laughs> answering these questions adequately is going to require a phone call. Clearly, it'll be faster if we talk. But no, an hour of hemming and hawing, and I feel like we came to... It was a good conversation. We agreed to agree but to come to no resolution. So we'll wait 24 hours and see what happens. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, we don't have to decide everything all the time right now. So let me just get back to this real quick. First of all, the long walk is like my favorite short story ever. I think it's fucking super cool. And I really hope that they make it into a movie someday. Um, second of all, the running man could have been a way cooler movie because the movie Arnold Schwarzenegger is this, like, super jack commando dude, right? Yes. And he goes through this, like, labyrinth where the, these fucking dudes are dressed up that he has to battle. In the book, he's a little bit more of, like, a more like a regular dude. He's not this, like, super jack guy. But the whole setup is way cooler. So the whole thing is that you get released basically into the country. And everyone, this is the most popular game show. Everyone in the country is fucking looking for you. And if they report your location, they get prizes. So like you're fucking on the run for real. And like everywhere you go, every single person is like incentivized to fucking report your, your location. Is this also set in Maine? Like all of other. No, you're like going across the country. All across the United States. Yeah. So you're on the fucking run. I think I forget what it was. I think you have like 21 days or 30 days or something, you know, that like to like make it to your fucking objective. That's like super far away. And, uh, I, I feel think, like, I feel like John Travolta had this figured out, dude. I think that would be like face off way cooler of a story. victory. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Way cooler of a story. If the character from this Bachman book said something like, I can eat a peach for hours. I'll be like, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> and they're all tied together. Right? <clears throat> well, so that goes back to my fan fiction thing that, with Bill. Aaron loves fan fiction. Particularly. I don't love fan fiction. I think Bill came up with an awesome idea. Did Bill for, come up with that idea or did you come up with that It was idea? Bill's idea. I just kind of added to it. <clears throat> Bill came up with this out. awesome idea for, the, for fan fiction. We'll see. Here, how about this? We'll use this as a test. If anyone is actually listening to this and gives a shit about it, maybe maybe they can they can give us some feedback by email or in the team room or something. All right, Aaron, but, pitch your fucking idea to the bottom of the barrel, people. All right, it's it's Bill's idea, but I'm on board with it. I appreciate that you're deflecting the. Blame I'm not deflecting already. it. I'm trying to. <laughs> this was Aaron's would, idea until we voiced it publicly. No, no, no. I would gladly take credit for this, but I believe that it's important to give credit when credit's due. Uh, Oh, is that how, is that how it is? It I'm, is. Like I'm gonna message on Domesticated William right now. You can, <laughs> dude. Yesterday in the team room, someone was like, "Hey, great job designing these jackets." I I didn't design the jackets. Brian did most of the work. Did you say and it would have been a better job if I had known not to use a lady zipper on them? Listen, <laughs> we asked for the zipper to be on the other side, and it never fucking happened. I um, I honestly barely noticed when I got my jacket, but it, I was laughing that someone sent me a message and was like, why did you make ladies jackets? I was like, wait, oh, it's a zipper that they said that because of it. It doesn't really matter. Did anyway, you know that the drain spins the other direction when you go below the equator? Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Fan fiction topic. So here's the premise. The idea is that John Cusack's character in the following movies are the same guy Strung together, all right? So here's the setup. It starts with Better Off Dead. John Cusack's just some fucking schmo in high school. Should probably tell the plot of Better Off Dead, because I believe most people have not seen it. They can fucking look it up. Oh, my God. What um, is Better Off Dead? All right. Better Off Dead is a 80s comedy movie with John Cusack, where he's a kid in high school, and he's kind of a loser, 
and he's constantly getting picked on by the captain of the high school ski team. And uh, he's got this like weird neighbor kid that lives next door to him. His, uh, his brother is this like crazy, smart, eccentric guy. And a French exchange student comes to live with them. Female? Female. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as it turns out, she's super cool and she's French. Uh, At what point not, did not we really stop that hot. making movies that were basically our teenage masturbatory fantasies? Like it used to I be. I think in the 90s yeah. they stopped, yeah. It's sad. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really care anymore, but, uh, I still like those movies. Like I watch them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is it. It definitely made me feel like there were people out there that had way cooler lives than me. John Hughes, man. He yeah. made us realize like, it was, I was like, dude, why is my life not this rad? And you grew up in dude, Illinois. I know my friends in high school used to tell me that they were like, you must believe that your life is actually a John Hughes movie. Um, I lived in that fantasy land. Do you call them now and say, I own a fitness company where all I do is travel places and threaten to go to Tokyo. <laughs> Never have once done that. Um, so anyway, better off dead. Billboard. <laughs> I don't need a billboard. Um, <clears throat> put it above the office. Yes, my life is a John Hughes movie. Suck my whole asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Um, so better off dead. Fucking French chick gives him the confidence to race the fucking captain of the ski team. Down the, what was it, K2 or K4? Or I don't remember. I, I do recall this It was film. K something. Yep. He fucking beats the guy. Then she helps him restore this, like, sweet 67 Camaro. So now he's got a cool car with a cool French girlfriend, and he's fucking beat the cool guy at high school. End of the movie. Redemption, right? Well, what happens after that movie? Here's the hypothesis. At the end of the movie, you see his brother, who had gone and sent away for a home rocket ship kit, like spaceship kit, having built the spaceship and while the credits are rolling, it like launches through the roof of their house out of their living room. Bill's premise was that that was actually the beginning of the storyline for this character where the parents die in a fiery explosion from the takeoff. He ends up getting frustrated and uh, ends up because his parents die going to live with his sister because he doesn't have parents anymore, right? To finish high school, thus begins what? Say anything. Say anything. So which is a sad movie. Which is a sad movie, only but by losers he's, he's and living, females who wish that they had a subservient there's no boyfriend. Par- there's no parents in the picture. He's finishing high school and he's living with his older sister, wearing a trench coat right? and yeah, like playing moody. So he's music. super sad. It would make sense. His parents, his brother, just killed his parents inadvertently, <laughs> and he's fucking moping around. Right? And relive the story, right? It starts over again. Now here's a guy who's like had his confidence built up. Now it's shot, goes through the whole thing again, meets a super cool girl. Fucking, she's way out of his league. He gets her at the end of the movie. They fucking take off and fly to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. What happens then? He's recruited by the CIA. He gets recruited by the CIA. Or maybe they break up and he decides to join the military on like a ranger contract or something like that. Anyway, <clears throat> this is the biggest gap in the story in the storyline and would require the most fan fiction writing. Also, ends conveniently, up, the most interesting. Yeah, ends up becoming super high level special operations Jason Bourne type dude. Right, decides to get out of the military, move to Michigan where his sister is living, and becomes an assassin for hire. AKA the beginning of gross point blank. Wasn't Minnie driver the love interest? In she that? was, she yeah. was not very hot. Uh, she's got like a cute thing going on. Mm. Anyway, we go through gross point blank. She of Andy McDowell, but like with bad <clears throat> teeth, gross point blank, sad guy, same character, right? Gets the fucking girl again. She kind of like makes everything better for him. Decides to quit being an assassin for hire. But at the end of that movie, then we have this other gap that would be filled in with like, she fucking breaks up them. And Maybe instead, it's not about him just being a loser that can't fulfill a woman. Maybe one of these women dies of cancer or something. We could add that yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Instead of going back to be a murderous rampage guy, he ends up moving to Chicago and he invests his life insurance money in a record company in a fucking a record gentrifying na- in a gentrifying yeah. neighborhood and becomes the emo kid that he was always destined to be. That he always was. Yeah. And John Cusack. What's the name of that movie? 
um, um, high fidelity. High fidelity. But then after high fidelity, that's does the that, end of the is story that when 1604 arc. happens? No, that's the end of the story arc. And there's no 1604? No. But I feel like that would really be the good supernatural ending where it's like him trapped in a hotel room as a fucking journalist. Maybe. I don't know. But I hate John Cusack. I think he's the whiniest really? fucking piece of shit on fucking Hollywood. Nah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, think, I just feel like he's too normal. Dude, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm biased because I grew up loving like One Crazy Summer, all those, you know, Better Off Dead. I was more, were, I was more into um, <clears throat> McDreamy. So there was that whole thing. McDreamy? Yeah, the uh, Patrick. Um, Swayze? No, Patrick Dempsey. Ah. Yeah, the uh, the whole pizza boy gigolo fucking thing. That was a great movie. Yeah. And uh, Can't um, Buy Me Love. Yeah. Those were both my my jams. What was the pizza boy one? What was the name We of talked about this on here before and I can never remember it. I think it's um it was not Mystic Pizza. No, no, no. That was like a Lover real, Boy. That was yes. Yeah. Where he almost bangs his mom <clears throat> because yep. she's extra like lonely. anchovies, man. Yeah, extra anchovies. Yeah. Yep. He's such a good 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 lover. Order a pizza with extra anchovies. Couldn't make movies like that anymore. I don't understand why. I mean, I don't understand how they got made to begin with. It's just too taboo, man. It's like Blazing Saddles. Like, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles now. It's too edgy. I mean, we say that, but There's too much racial comedy in it. There's movies like The Reader, where it's about an ex-Nazi who molests a small boy who she's reading books to. Yeah, but that's a ba- he's like a bad guy, right? I mean, not really. She's a, the whole purpose of the movie is to make you feel conflicted about her motivations for molesting this kid, or also to question whether it was actually bad that she did. Like she offered him solace and therapy by reading him. She taught him how to read, and he became successful. And then when she was eventually like caught as a Nazi war criminal and tried in her August years, he visits her all the time. Speaking of that shit, did you see this thing about that dude in California? No, which. So, uh, this dude in California, they have said has, uh, confessed to 93 murders and they believe he's done them all. Uh, 79 year old dude that's been in prison for like seven years or something. Um, what do you go to like prison for? Long third for, marijuana offense <laughs> for murder. Um, he's killed like 93, like prostitutes and like drug addicts since the seventies. Is this the part where California gives him a reward? Dude, it's like it's like more than twice as much as like the next prolific serial killer. And he's a black guy. Really? Yeah. Man, mind hunters, mind blown. Right? I yeah. Timing is... Uh, Only just sexually finished. frustrated white males who live with their mothers are capable of serial killing. Mm-hmm. I was bummed that... Uh, is this they... a Clarence Thomas moment where everybody's like, well, he's not really black. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not making an implication. I'm just saying it's surprising. Because I, we're always told that all the serial killers are white, and most of them seem to be. Well, I was very intrigued by watching Mindhunters, which I had avoided for a while. Great show. Yeah. Also. I fucking love it. I was very... So, there's a couple things. One, <laughs> I feel like the um, super text that they use for each city is so slap you in the face <laughs> that it annoys, it is, it annoys it is, the fuck out of me. It's pretty intense. I'm like, what? Tulsa, Oklahoma? <laughs> Who cares that it takes up the whole fucking screen? And it's in a weird font. Yeah. I don't understand it. Also, um, the guy, the cunty one, is really cunty. Whatever. Holden. Yes. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. I mean, like, I fucking get that he's smart and a little autistic and weird, but also, like, he's just he's too self-assured and it's problematic. Mm. Also, I um, I do kind of like the old grumpy cop whose kid is a serial killer, you know, with no remorse. That's a pretty good plot line. Yeah. But also like, um, the thing that really bothers me about that, I think is the social justice commentary because I feel like the show misses the mark in a way. Cause it's trying to make you question previous investigations by saying that like, if, um, oh, there's, there's a couple nuances here that bother me. One I feel that the directors of the show are trying to make you see that, um, not stereotyping, but, um, fucking profiling profiling is an effective method that like was in development, but that in many ways, but a better utilization of profiling would have caught serial killers earlier. 
And what I'm what I actually think is the case is that everything that we're seeing is that profiling is kind of like a pseudoscience that's created by people who have no idea what they're fucking talking about. Oh, for sure. And that it is basically like while we point to the few success cases of serial killers put into prison because of profiling, we're also highlighting bad police work and profiling combined that are putting innocent people in prison based on the fact that like we have now a motive combined with circumstantial evidence, which is enough to get a jury to convict someone. And I'm going, man, like, were they really guilty? Like what kind of abuses of, you know, civil rights were there in this? Um, maybe I'm just a huge vagina who cares about justice, but I don't know. I watch it and it makes me feel bad for the system. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, <clears throat> did you ever see, what was the HBO movie with the, um, the night of yes yes great series oh my god great series and i think that's the best part about that i mean i think that their intent obviously it's an emotional thing like you know i watch tv shows so that i can feel a certain way about social issues <laughs> it's, i mean that's the crux of the whole thing right sure like uh if someone could write a compelling story about members of the q klux clan i believe that there would be many more sympathetic people just because it's an emotional Dude, these shows pull the emotions and people feel a certain way about someone, right? But in the night of, it's like, hey, man, you can't escape the criminal justiceism. Even if you're innocent or you didn't do it, the odds are... Dude, the machine will fucking grind you up and spit you out. Going to jail, getting socialized in in the penal system is going to make you a hardened person. Uh, there was a guy, I mean, this is like uh, the fucking Jamie Lannister movie, um, Shot Caller, which was also fucking God, rad. What a good movie. Dude, so good. There's but, some plot holes in that, but also I, speaking I, of that, shout out to Johnny Bernthal, got stabbed to death in that one. That's right. I knew a dude in Madison, not not well, I knew of a dude in Madison, I should say. Friend of a friend. What's up? Your wrist oh, fucked yeah. up? Oh yeah, dude, I just pick up my phone and it's like punishment from Aaron. My wrist has like a, a laser. Like, never mind. I shouldn't have picked up that phone. <laughs> um, the implants working. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I knew of this dude in Madison that ended up going to jail for fucking drug possession, like weed dealing or some shit like that. And, uh, fucking yeah, man, he ended up falling in with a fucking Aryan nation or whatever. Is a way to just fucking stay safe. Got to protect your cornhole, man. Dude, but here goes a guy that was like a fucking hippie, like weed guy. And all of a sudden, two years later, he's like covered in fucking swastika tattoos and all this shit. The guy's, I don't know. It, it seemed a fucking, like a good idea at the time, man. Dude, it's just. What would uh, you do with a million dollars, Lawrence? Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I got to tell someone this morning about true romance. I got to preach the fucking gospel. It's my favorite. Our it's name. my uh, my kid's favorite movie. Our, it's my favorite movie. Yeah. You and Michaela should hang out and have like a true romance movie night. Mm, that sounds weird, but uh, maybe she can hang out and, and uh, watch it with our nanny and introduce her. Yeah, yeah. It's a good. I mean, she, yeah. Has the nanny not seen it? Mm-mm. What? Yeah. And she seems like the kind of person that would have seen it. We're old, man. That movie's old. Yeah, but I mean, my kid's young. She's only seventeen. Anyway, I'm going to end this on anyone that hasn't seen True Romance owes it to themselves. To watch and it. if you're into Aaron's fan fiction idea, please write us messages that we can ignore. <laughs> <laughs> or write the fan fiction. Uh, I'm never going to get around to it. Yeah, best revelation in the fucking team room this week was the release of the Ghost Recon, the Australian guys video. Oh, that was funny. And uh, the whole scene where the guy's like, he's like, hey, come help me. I'm like, do not fucking talk to me. <laughs> and and dude's like, oh, there it is, Doug B. And I was like, I am the fucking same in real life as I am in that fucking video and this team room. Look at me and I will fucking ban you. <laughs> On that note. Yeah. I hope that everyone has a wonderful day and that Jesus reaches out and touches your souls and that you know success and true happiness. And until next time, Alvita Zane.